I'm not into into victim shaming. Anybody can get breached at any given time, but there is a sense of responsibility to doing the the proper due diligence with your hygiene, right? With your processes. If you have a critical vulnerability and you're not um, making efforts to understand all of your assets and your supply chain, and these things are hard. Hygiene is hard, Alan, right? Um, but there has to be a standard of care, right? A reasonableness of care. If you have a known vulnerability that's critical, that's exposed to the internet, and you haven't patched it in a period of time that is acceptable, then that's that's something you're going to have to um, answer to. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer, affectionately known as AMZ by her close friends, and I am thankful to call myself one of them. Anne-Marie has been on the show before. She's a repeat guest, and that's for good reason. She is a fellow at the National Security Institute. She's the chief security officer at SciCognito, who are not sponsoring the show, by the way. And she's on the advisory board at Symmetry Systems, who weirdly uh, was sponsored last week's episode. The total coincidence. Um, but she's also been a divisional CISO and VP uh, of security engineering at a very famous international credit card company. And lately... Uh, Anne-Marie has become the go-to expert on a popular television news network uh, to speak about a number of cybersecurity issues. She has been on TV quite a lot lately. Uh, most recently, she was brought in to speak about the Move It ransomware attack and its impact on the world. So we're going to dive into that and kind of broaden the conversation into some of the bigger implications of ransomware. But Anne-Marie, thank you so much for coming back to the ranch. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate being here. It's always good to chat with you, brother. Right on. So what is MoveIt? Uh, it's been all over the media. What is it exactly? What was the software's purpose? How was it exploited? Who did the deed? Let's, let's get into the, the physics for those who aren't caught up. To be very simple about it, MoveIt Transfer is a tool that was developed by Progress Software that many companies use, and I mean pervasively use, <laughs> to share sensitive information um, between each other. So, you know, it's encrypted. It's supposed to give you a lot of control over access, and it's meant to facilitate the transfer of very large documents as well versus just simply emailing which as you know if you've ever tried to email something really big you're gonna you have file restrictions and this is one of the things that um, folks use much like Dropbox or what have you to uh, share large troves of, of data or, or large files. Okay so being used to transfer big amounts of data, if it gets exploited, that means the bad guys get access to said big amounts of data. Is that the gist of it? That's right. And what's what's important about this is that this particular tool is specifically used. One of the key benefits is that it, it's meant to encrypt the data so that you could safely transfer it. So many times what people use this for, it's not just for size, but for sensitivity of data. So when you compromise the agent that is uh, that you've entrusted your trove with, right? Imagine what that could mean for you. And you know we've seen um, all different types of victims in this hack. 
Uh, I think there's been a couple new uh, big four victims that came out today, actually. So, you know, you have sensitive customer data, you have uh, financials, you have strategy docs. There's been a number of local and state agencies, DMV agencies. So you have consumer information that has been viewed and shared and likely exfiltrated. Uh, So, you know, it's it's a big deal. All right. Now, this was exploited via a zero day, right? Yeah. So just, you know, for the breadth of the audience here, a zero day is a a vulnerability that wasn't previously widely known. And that means that, you know, you, you issue a CVE, you issue a patch, but it's something that the attackers will know before the makers of the software do. And so what they'll what they'll often do is create this campaign to find a, a security flaw, exploit it for some time, and then the good it takes a while for the good guys to find it. They'll know beforehand, right? And so that's why it's called a zero day. But I would caution folks to think that, you know, there was a a short period of time where this was being used. I mean, there's evidence of research happening for this type of exploit as early as I think 2001 and even before that. So it's been, you know, it's been um, available for a long time. And this particular threat actor group, just like any other criminal endeavor, you know, they have a sweet spot that they like to target. And they've targeted um, software like this before, tools like this before. And so, you know, if, if, you're, if you're good at breaking in a certain way, you're, you're going to double down on those skills. And it's a it's a a great target from a threat actor perspective because of how trusted it is, and because of how much data runs through. Got it, got it. So the group that did it was Clop, right? And what else do we know about them? Yeah, Clop is claiming responsibility. They are a Russian speaking group. We, from most public accounts, we've not seen any direct information that would suggest that they are state sponsored. But as I mentioned um, last weekend, you know, on a national newscast, that this is crime as a service, right? It's organized crime. And CLOP, like others, can be, um, you know, organized crime can be rented out by, by many organizations. So it's hard to, to say who commissioned this type of act, let's say, um, because commissioning is not the same thing as performing. Right. It could be both. Right. And both topics are are important to the puzzle. But. Yeah, there, there's not it's not necessarily a um, nation state sponsored group. It, we know that they're a Russian speaking group that has claimed responsibility. OK. OK. Now, this attack, uh, this attack uh, makes me think of SolarWinds, makes me think of LastPass. Um, you've got a trusted software that's doing important things in your infrastructure, and it's compromised. And now because the trusted software is compromised, you're compromised, right? That's right. What's your take on the comparison there with SolarWinds and even LastPass? Well, I think that there are similarities. For example, you have a a very structured campaign that happened over a period of time to pop a very highly opportunistic and pervasive third party, you know, supply chain type of target, right? Versus a specific door, a specific entity they wanted to target. They target, you know, the the weaker um, peripheral entity to get to a plethora of targets, (laughs) if you will. Right. So that same thing uh, happened. And in SolarWinds, um, 
you know, it wasn't necessarily a destructive attack. It was highly espionage, right? You can make correlations here because it's data and not necessarily um, systems that you could shut down or use to harm. You're specifically going to learn about uh, information and use that for extortion, use it for ransom, um, for financial gain at this point, but it could be used for a lot of other things. I mean, all of the motives can apply here, financial gain, espionage, embarrassment, however, or, or, or whatever. But it is, it is a pretty big attack. It's just a different type of seriousness um, than SolarWinds or Colonial Pipeline or um, LastPass. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, now let's 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 revisit this zero day exploit phenomenon. Um, a, a lot of the victims, right? And, and we talked about, you know, crack the software harm a plethora of victims. Uh, so I'm speaking of that plethora now. Um, a lot of folks feel helpless, and they say there's nothing we can do or could have done. It's a zero day attack. It's not our fault, you know, because there's companies who are having to notify their users uh, or their clients or whoever your data was jacked. It wasn't our fault. It was the move it thing. We're victims here too. Nothing we could have done. But I'm personally convinced that even in zero day can have uh, at least some mitigation, right? You can proactively address things that you don't know about yet, right? Like what's your take on that one? I'm not into into victim shaming. Anybody can get breached at any given time. But there is a sense of responsibility to doing the, the proper due diligence with your hygiene, right? With your processes. If you have a critical vuln and you're not um, making efforts to understand all of your assets and your supply chain. And these things are hard. Hygiene is hard, Alan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there has to be a standard of care, right? A reasonableness of care. If you have a known vulnerability that's critical, that's exposed to the internet, and you haven't patched it in a period of time that is acceptable, then that's, that's something you're going to have to um, answer to, Right. There are compensating controls that can help in these types of things. But, you know, it's more about response and making sure that, you know, you weren't sloppy, you weren't cutting corners, you weren't saying, you know, I'm not investing in security. I don't care what my attack service looks like. I don't care. I mean, nobody says I don't care. They say I, I don't have enough resources, right? I mean, there are some people that are stinkers out there. But for the most part, I believe that um, security leaders and practitioners are, are desperately trying to do the right thing. And it's knowing what that right thing is and prioritizing things properly that I think um, helps us in these, in these positions, right? Instead of saying there's nothing we could do, it should be, here's what we did, right? right. Here's what was, what was enough for our risk tolerance at the time. And unfortunately, that risk came to fruition, Right. So now we have to rethink what our risk tolerance is. We have to risk it. You know, security is a risk equation. So there's an impact piece to that and a frequency piece to that. So if you've got hit by something like this, you've got data on both now, the impact and the frequency. So your risk tolerance should be reevaluated and changed. And that means that you're going to have to look at your processes and decide if it's appropriate now for you to harden in certain areas or not. And usually we can all do better, right? So usually there's going to be an effort to say, hey, I didn't realize this was a blind spot in my network. This was a blind spot in my attack service. This was a blind spot in my process. My remediation timelines were 30 days for a critical, which is insane, but that happens sometimes. 
you know, sometimes they're 15, sometimes they're seven. Was that enough? Was our response time enough? Was our insurance enough? You know, did we have, did we have the, the tabletops there to respond, you know? So it's a time for introspection instead of saying, nah, we couldn't have prevented it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. And and I guess, you know, what I was kind of leaning on too was, you know, and, and you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to speak of me, Alan, personally, you know, at home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got layers and layers and layers of defense. You know, I, first of all, I refused to use LastPass because I wasn't going to put my passwords online, period. I don't use any of the online password vaults. <laughs> Second of all, the, 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 the non-online password vault that I do use, I also have protected in secured password locked uh, data storage. So sure. nested security, you have to get this password, then that Love password, it. then that password Love to get it. the passwords, you know. Love it. And I think I think that defense in depth paradigm that that layering it on I think another thing that that everybody can be revisiting is what's my most critical software that has the access to the sensitive things like SolarWinds has access to all my network stuff, LastPass mm-hmm. has access to all my passwords, MoveIt has access right. to all my data, and, and and just visit that for a moment before you begin deploying and say I'm not going to rely on it alone and it's security alone, what else can I do to complement that, right? What's a second layer of security that would prevent if it got zero day? You know, like that's that's kind of, and I, I oh, know that's sure. not realistic. I know you can't do that everywhere. I know you can't do that every time. And I know that a company has to spend a boatload of money, whereas for me, it's just, hey, drop it on the thingy and lock it up with the thingy. Like it's easy as a person to say that. But for a company, I know it's a much bigger proposition. But that kind of thinking, that kind of mindset, I'm wondering why we don't have more of that out there. Well, I, you know, some people will, would call that, um, you know, game theory, or they might call it uh, threat casting or threat modeling, whatever it is. It's asking the question of what could go wrong, what scenarios could go wrong. And if you're data heavy or if you're, you know, some people, I think some people maybe got caught off guard of the risk that they were taking by putting all their eggs in one basket, right? And then trusting that basket and make and assuming that that basket you know was top tier in in security and all of the things that it could do you know so from from a um a business perspective the goods and services that we provide as a business and everybody has a business right i mean you're selling something i think that you know we really have to take responsibility for the safety of our products and services that we offer. And these are concepts that need to be more affirmed at the board level, at the strategy level, at the C-suite level, right? There is an operational cost that security has to be described as versus a capital cost, right? Especially when you're talking about goods, it's going it to affect the margin because it's a quality issue, not a feature, you know? So especially with with uh, software like this or a service like this, you know, but these are these are long conversations to have. And I think this particular instance can be um, can be a way to accelerate those conversations to perhaps, you know, add more of. Uh, emphasis to the voice of security on why this has to be part of the default, why it has to be part of the mechanism, not just the default, but the continued, the continued effort of quality, right? The continued investment in it, it has to, it has to be part of the definition of how it works, right? The expectation for the consumer, 
whether that consumer is a business or an individual. And I think sometimes companies, when they look at third party, they say, oh, it's not our deal. They said they got it. You know, we're going to trust them. But the reality is, if we know that any given person at any given time, remember that movie back in the day? I'm going to date myself any given Sunday. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if any given Sunday something can happen, then have you game played out what that scenario would mean? If you're going to shuck responsibility to your third party because you're using their tool, well, what happens if that tool fails, right? How are you building for resiliency and response, not just preventative, but how are you going to handle what is going on when it hits the fan? That's it. That is exactly it. Resilience is is the key word there I was looking for, right? Because it's bigger than defense in depth. It's it's about preparedness. It's about, and to your point, it's about the quality of the services you are delivering. It's about the overhead and cost. It's it's a COGS conversation if it's done right, right? It's cost of goods sold for your business. I've got a certain amount of overhead. If I'm going to be delivering data, if I'm going to be processing other people's data, and that's the service I offer, I, I need to talk about a layered defense strategy. I need to talk about resiliency. I need to talk about planning. I need to have all of these things. And, and if that's just a COGS conversation from an accounting perspective, great. So be it, right? Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. Well, I, you know, I, I love that you used COGS because a lot of people don't know what that is. It's cost of goods sold, and it's part of that, that margin within a, a good or service that, you know, for profitability. And what's great is that the, uh, you know, AICPA, which is, uh, you know, an accounting body is really diving deep into security and security issues. And so I think there's, a, you know, bridging conversations to be had there. But I also think aside from that, and that that's for the service provider, right? For the consumer of those services, you know, we have, you know, there's, there's a reason why we don't allow executives on the same plane in physical security, right? That is the one grenade theory. Yeah. That, I mean that, and that's part of your physical security strategy. And it's part of, you know, you, if you're a public company, it's in your filings, right? You're like, you have these protections in place. So if you're moving very sensitive data all through the same rails and you're uploading everything in the same way, in the same trove, does that make sense all the time? And it could very well make sense, right? You might say for the, your size or convenience or whatever, that we're okay running in, you know, all of the data going through this particular thing. That might be your analysis. Then it's about resiliency. Or you might say, I need to be, you know, multi-threaded here. It's just like when you're going into the cloud, are you going to put everything in, in one provider? Or are you going to be multi-tenant? Right. Are you going to have, you know, do you have a greater understanding of what it means um, when you have a bunch of information that is traveling together or stored together versus segmented? It's not just segmenting your network. It's segmenting access to your data. Right. In government, we have classification of data and you can have 
you can have little pieces of data that are benign, right, by themselves. But when they come together, they are then elevated to a higher level of classification because it gives you a more complete picture that you can then do something with it. So if you are a victim in this attack and you're, um, you're able to piece together a bunch of these you know, pieces of information, you really got to assess what, you know, what, what type of information were you allowing to be transferred through this and what could be known, you know, and, and hopefully once you do that analysis, you could be like, okay, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, you know, maybe there's some IP, maybe there's this, but if it's, oh man, you know, maybe it's some super sensitive data from a customer perspective, or, you know, there's a lot of services firms, that have been um, called out as victims, maybe legal firms, you know, where they, where they have sensitive data for lawsuits, whatever, or or trade secrets, or have you? Yeah. So so I think um, it's important to use this opportunity to to pause a little and consider what that threat model might look like. I love right? it. I love it. All right, so let's pivot. Completely separate conversation, one that's been really sort of digging at my brain lately, and that's the prevalence of these attacks, right? It's like for non-cyber people, for for business folks that read the Wall Street Journal that aren't cyber people. I read the Wall Street Journal. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, but I'm talking about, you know, like folks that aren't cyber that are just simply looking at the business news, right? Look at business folks who aren't cyber folks, and they're reading Mm -hmm. business news. And what do they see? They see Colonial Pipeline. They see SolarWinds. They see LastPass. They see Movement. They see all of these. They see Home Depot. They see Target. They see, you know, on mm-hmm. and on and on and on. Uh, Equifax yep. and all that. Yep. And at some point, I fear they are getting jaded, that they're becoming nonchalant about this stuff. In other words, these things are becoming so commonplace, all these attacks, breaches, ransomware attacks, all this, that they're just starting to be accepted to a certain degree. And if that's the case, then maybe the companies are investing less and doing less to prevent future such events, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it a valid concern that, that folks are starting to become blasé about these things? It's, oh, yeah, another attack, whatever. You know, is, is this a valid fear? I don't think that's a pervasive attitude. It might be um, an attitude by some that have walked through the fire before, right, and have realized that some of the things um, that we used to be concerned about in the past, like stock price, we know stock price rebounds, um, or insurance payouts, which if you've been following the not pet you payout case, you might be buoyed by that, right? Where you're like, oh, but but the reality is that a lot of insurance companies are now making it much more stringent for a payout. You know, there's there's you know the ruling that they should pay out, and now the insurance companies are going to harden more and expect more of you, right? In order to enable a payout, more due diligence, more hardening right? Make sure that you're doing the right thing in order to get that payout. So I think it's actually counter, right? And back in the day, there used to be this argument. I don't know if you remember this, Alan, but I think you do because when I uh, are in the same tropes. But remember how people would say, I just have to be more secure than the next person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the faster than your buddy when the bear is chasing you model. But we know that this is not the case. And all of the examples that you have mentioned are prime examples of collateral damage, right? Not Petya taught us, or at least put on an international stage, what it means to be connected, right, to a centralized piece of software, 
it's the exact same scenario. It's like watching Star Wars over and over and over again, where they attack the Death Star in the exact same way. You know, like every every single time there's a vulnerability, it's the same thing. Right. Right. So, there's so there's they, always they, an exhaust port, there's, the there's size always, of a womp rat. So, yeah. <laughs> so here you had a trusted update that went in and affected a whole bunch of victims. They were not the target. And so you can't say, am I more secure? How do I compare to the next financial services company? How do I compare to the next oil and gas? Because it's not, you know, they're they're not just specifically targeting an oil, you know, a, a particular company, you versus them. They're protecting your common partner, which means they get all of you when they do that. And so I would hope that we use this as the, you know, again, as a conversation starter to really emphasize that we could, we could be absolutely be victims of opportunity and just be collateral damage in an attack, right? So we've got to, we've got to plan for those scenarios. It's like the weather, you know, the tornado coming through, the tornado does not care who you are you know, is not a respecter of persons or property. It just goes through. So, but we still, we, we understand that a lot better because we see it and we hear it and we have to start planning the same way. Yeah. It's, it's great that you brought up not Petya as, as your example of that, because that one was one that the bad guys even thought that they were targeting a specific geo, a specific, um, like that was one where they didn't even realize how global it was going to go or what it was going to become. Yeah, because it was obvious based on the languages they used, uh, the politics of the of the time. I believe it was a Russia versus Ukraine uh, phenomenon, uh, not Petya, way back when. You know, and, and all of a sudden you've got people in Brazil that have been nailed by it, people in the United States that have been nailed by it, people in Mexico that have been nailed by it. Like, it just, you know, the entire world got hit by something that even the bad guys thought was geo-contained and, to and a certain what was, extent. And what was the fallout, right? I mean, the fallout at minimum, um, when we did, there were, when we... The government did um, congressional hearings about this. The U.S. government they estimated ten billion in damage, um, and that that was that estimate was maybe four years ago when they came out with that number. That's before all of these other payouts um, happened to come through, right? And what happened on on a world level? Twenty percent of the world's shipping capacity was bricked for for a long time. Remember those memes where it's like saying there's no chicken nuggets because of some those were real memes. Yes, was, yes, they were. Yes, they you know, were. Same and thing was... with Colonial Pipeline. They're yeah. like, oh, crap, we didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Right. <laughs> we right. didn't mean to get you guys. Right. We were just going for the other guys. But but that's exactly it. I mean, you, you turn a, I don't want to call it a living weapon, but that's kind of the metaphor, right? I mean, that's what Indeed. worms and viruses are, right? They yes, propagate. They that's why are. we use those analogies for these things. They, they propagate beyond uh, intention um, and, and impact everybody. So, so let's, let's pivot back. You mentioned stock price, and I want to dive into that one a little bit too. This is hammering on this kind of ennui, um, you know, nonchalance theory of mine. Um, there's a trope in our circles that that being the post-breach CISO, you know, like that's the role you want, right? Never be the never be the pre-breach CISO, always be the post-breach CISO, right? <laughs> and, and the reason is you get to waltz in the door and they are throwing cash at you and every security idea you have, they're like, yeah, we'll fund that. And it's this easy street kind of thing. And I've talked to friends who've been in the post-breach scenario who, who very much um, – naysayed that 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 mindset you know, like, no that's not really what happens maybe there's a little more attention maybe there's a little more investment but you know 
it, it ties into this idea that, okay, so the stocks go down. You get breached, the stocks go down. We know this, right? But how mm-hmm. long do they stay down? How quickly do they recover? Um, is the business truly invested? Does the business need to invest more? Is the post-breach CISO really rolling in the dough? And I think the answer there is no. And I think the companies are becoming, again, a little nonchalant about this. Like, oh, yeah, we'll take a minor hit for the next quarter or two. But but within a year, stocks are back to rights and still growing. And, and so why should we spend a whole lot on this? Like, I worry that that mindset is, is out there, too. Well, um, a couple of things. One, the data has shown that the stock rebounds within one or two quarters, sometimes quicker than that, sometimes just a couple of months, right? So you have to, you know, think about like, is it opportunistic? Is there uh, some sort of uh, a takeover or, or or buying interest like that? That might be, and those are, but those are rare, comparatively speaking, right? I mean, not rare in life, but the likelihood of that being a specific condition at that time, you know, that doesn't happen very often. What's interesting about a post-breach CISO to make them effective, or any CISO really, is being to, able to articulate the impact in business terms. Remember when Equifax happened? There was a ton of people that said, oh, psh, look at that loss. It's not a big deal. You know, the fines, blah, blah, blah. Equifax is huge and they have billions and billions, right? But, and so there was a lot of security folks that were saying that and were just like, so, you know, and you know, I have a business background. And so I said, well, what if you were to consider that the damage to date, and this was maybe like 18 months, two years in, and so we know that's a lot more now, but it was enough to wipe out your entire net revenue for 18 months. Now talk to me about whether or not this is important. Right. Now we, we've, talk we've to me. We've crossed imagine, the line to catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. Imagine imagine what that would do to your bonuses, to your raises, to, you know, company spending. I mean, here we are, you know, we have sort of a recession, maybe kind of, sort of, maybe, right? About in certain ways, right? Stocks still, you know, the Dow is still up like like a beast. But we have people that uh, are, are companies that are restricting travel budgets that are, you know, in in crazy ways and and just really pinching pinching pennies right so imagine if you were going through a situation where you you had no net revenue for 2 years that that's that's crazy you know yeah that is crazy that's that something crazy. that's going to absolutely impact your investors so so we have to be better okay i think as a ciso community as a security community at telling the story in business terms and relating it into business terms. That's right? exactly it's not that. just how much money do I need. A lot of times, you know, it's process that needs to be done. It's not tools. You could buy, a, they might allow you to buy a bunch of tools. And there is um, opportunity to buy better tools, right, in order to accomplish goals and help you see the blind spots. But you got to have investment in the processes. Absolutely. To enable those tools. Absolutely. And if you're just going for the tools, you're going for the uh, inevitable shelfware state, which I've mentioned before on this show, like shame on any CISO who's got a bunch of shelfware. Like shame on you. You blew the company's money and you're doing nothing with it, right? Oh, my God. Well, that's what was the average, like 225 tools. Yeah. yeah, You know, get get tools or they try to roll their own. Get tools that can help you tell the story, that can help you make decisions 
that multiply your staff and not blind or hinder your staff, right? Get high, I mean, get high fidelity tools. You know, this is ridiculous with, you know, you get all these little crazy things or maybe you're on a platform play and and they have a bunch of solutions that don't really work. Is that really helping you? You know, get stuff that you can trust and that you're going to invest the time into being able to use, learn, and work effectively. And and interoperate with the existing tooling you have, right? Like that's a key factor as well. Like if you just keep doing these blind one-offs, like it it amazes me how often an, an actual incident will hit and the team gets deployed and everyone gets told, go find the data and get me the logs and the whatever. And you start to realize you've got this disparate smattering of things that you're having to play connect the dots on the fly after yes. the incident, like connect the dots before the incident, right? Yeah. You should know the purpose of your tools. I can't tell how many times I've been called in to do um, analysis on the stack, right? And the yeah. overlap of the stack. Now you're going to have overlap in your stack a lot. Always. because Always. And, and you should, right? That's to, That's by design. Not, you know, we have innovation through the security community and and that means some tools are going to do the same things that others do. And you have this like 80, 20, this Venn diagram of stuff. Sure. But you should understand that in your stack, because I bet there's things that can be eliminated. There's and even if there isn't, you have to be able to deconflict the data. You have to know what this particular tool is going to inform you and when you're going to use it. And what this particular tool is going to inform you and how you're going to be able to use it so that when you're in a crisis or in an incident response stage, you know exactly where to go and exactly what can feed you instead of sitting there going, ah, uh, do I use this scan or which right, right. scan is it? Right. Or what? You know, like, <laughs> and why, why not the times match and the logs and all the oh other stupidity God, that the emerges data after the fact? collected the same way. I didn't think about that before this breach happened, but you know what? Even if you didn't, it's okay. Do it now. Right. Do it now. Right. At least do it a little bit. Start somewhere. Right. <laughs> it's okay. Like we just use it as a way to make incremental change. Absolutely. You know? And start with unified time, people. That's my pro tip. Oh, please do. Every tool you have should be on unified time. So you don't have to play plus minus seven, plus minus 13, plus minus three every time you have something you're trying to cross-reference. But that's 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 my one little pro tip there. Um, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for coming back to the ranch. This has been a super smart conversation, which, of course, is what I expect from you. And thank you for delivering again. Um, thank you. It was great to be here, brother. Anytime. Right on. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>